Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Tonight, we got them. Goldie and the Salt. This is a chemical, chemical, disgusting, 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 display. And it starts right now. Oh, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. I'm here with Goldie and JC. Um, we had a special episode that maybe you heard last week about the uh, Oscars, our hot takes. Goldie was on fire. (laughs) We were just feeding him the ball. He had gym range, (laughs) as they say. Gym range. He was hitting from all over. Did you ever hear back about uh, your uh, proposed idea for Jada Pinkett Smith? Is it getting greenlit? I can't really talk about it now. A lot of exciting stuff is happening. (laughs) Yeah, I thought um, so. I'll just say that if and when it does... Uh, you will never hear from me again. God damn it. I knew it. it because if a... I'm the guy who revitalizes the major pain franchise, by the way, <clears throat> an interesting story, perhaps, you know where I actually saw the movie Major Pain? When it uh, came out? Uh, Acton, the Acton 4. <laughs> no, I where? saw it on a Greyhound bus from New York to Cape Cod. <laughs> yes. And I remember awesome. actually... Kind of laughing. And then yeah. I also remember uh, there was a knife fight outside the bus. <laughs> and we all had to get out of the bus and wait for another bus. As though, like, wh- why can't we take the same bus because yeah, no, there was this, a knife fight? This bus has been contaminated by <laughs> yeah. uh, waving knives outside. You can't drive it now. <laughs> like Greyhound, as backwards as it is, it's a labyrinth and knot of just backwards uh-huh. stuff. Like, you know, well, there's a knife fight, so then we got to get the special <laughs> non-knife fight bus. <laughs> it's so funny that you have have that memory because I have a memory, too, of I saw, and I had seen it, obviously, before, but taking the Peter Pan from Riverside uh-huh. and Wellesley to New York City, wow. um, they showed Empire Strikes Back. So obviously I was already a Star Wars nerd. I was very excited. But in the back of the bus, there were these three like young black teenage boys like in the back. And they were kind of, you know, being raucous teenagers for a little while. And then the movie's going. And I notice as the movie's progressing, they're making less and less noise. And then when it gets to the part in The Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. All three of them in the back go, shit! (laughs) They were were so into it by then, and they had never seen it. It was so great. I I wonder if they still have those crappy TVs, which were maybe eight inches and square, and then the tinny speaker. But now, if you told me now, 
okay, you're in Boston and you have to go to New York City and you can either take the bus or walk. I would walk. <laughs> I will never get on another bus. First again. joke of the day. First joke of the day. <laughs> it's so funny. I thought you were going to go the opposite way. Like I actually never didn't mind the bus, and oh, I was so it, it I was just so naive smells like that bathroom chemical. Yeah, the kind second of. You walk on, kind of. Yeah, but the, I found that smell reassuring. Like at least they're cleaning the thing. It didn't smell like shit. <laughs> right. Um, but but I was so naive about the bus because I remember being in prep school, and the cool thing was like you get a couple of buddies and you can take the bus down to New York City, like where, it, you know, it's cooler. Yeah. And uh, so at like 15, I was going with our friend Todd Kidder on the bus. And yeah. as we were how much money did you have in your pocket? Uh, maybe 80 bucks. Oh, that's oh, a lot. That's, yeah. Yeah. I would have guessed you would have like in those situations when I was a kid, it would be like I had $18. I went to Martha's Vineyard <laughs> once for three days and I think yeah. I had maybe $40 with me. Oh my God. <laughs> How did you do it? Martha's Vineyard on $10 a day yeah. by Julius Schaap. We camped out for free and like, you know, we oh, ate, wow. you know. Triscuits and cheese, but Triscuits. sorry, <laughs> there they are. No, no, no. The, I mean, did the upshot was I was getting on a bus to New York from Boston with our friend Todd Kidder, and I remember saying to him on the way onto the bus, with no irony, uh, saying, "Maybe we'll see someone famous." <laughs> like, I, like I thought <laughs> that, like <laughs> famous people are in New York. Maybe they'll be going on this Peter Pan bus. Seth, <laughs> <laughs> very good. We never use that. That's well, there good. is. I mean, I, I I've sort of forgotten about it because I live in L.A. now, and you see known people yeah. all the time. I wouldn't say they're all famous, but they're known if you have yeah. an antenna right. up. Sure, but, I, you know. I, I wouldn't even see nice cars growing up. Like, if I saw a BMW, I would stop and look at it and go, like, wow, a BMW 5 Series. Oh and, I, and if you saw a limo, it was like, oh, my God, is there someone famous in there? Yep. And I wow. feel like, who, who had a bit about that? Was it Viner? I don't remember. Uh, not asked to be on the podcast. Something about, like, a limo. It was somebody we saw a bunch. Was it Russ Maneve? One Maybe. of those guys had a bit about people throwing up in the back of a limo i don't know it may have even been me i don't know <laughs> it, it was it was bad so the maybe joke no me. one wants credit yeah for. I, don't, I don't know i can't remember um but uh yeah so goldie we were talking a little bit before the podcast started we're, we're all getting very excited i can assume for our our group date our outing our group date yes. uh our thruple date yes. uh to tootsie the musical on April 29th, fast approaching. Mm. And JC, I'm Golden. trying to lose the last 28 pounds. For there you go. <laughs> you better I, I want to be, I want to be rail thin ripped. when we yeah. see Tootsie. You, you, you better be tight. You're going to be sitting on my arm. You better look good. Um, but uh, so we're all getting ramped up for that. And JC, before we started, asked, so are we going to dinner before the, the musical? And I dinner? said, I said, God, I hope not. <laughs> But Goldie, I wanted to get your take. Would you well, like I mean, to are, have dinner? Are we going to meet that morning and have breakfast and just make a day of it? <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I could. I, I have uh, to work. Um, well, we do have to eat dinner. <laughs> yeah. Thank before. you, Goldie. Yeah, I, I kind of thought. <laughs> but the it's five, like, how bad five... do we want COVID? I mean, <laughs> we're doing the theater. <laughs> I we know. want to like, have dinner as well. Um, the uh, Outdoor? Yeah, the... Um, 
the five minutes on the curb I thought was going to be enough. And, but then when I said that to you, I was being a little bit glib. But I also realized within that, I'm like, but then there's like 15 minutes at intermission. We're going to have way too much time together. Oh, this isn't a one act? <laughs> Brutal. Hey, you know what stupid me forgot to mention on the Oscars thing we, we did uh, last, last week? week? I, and, and, and as of this recording, I haven't gone, but Goldie, tomorrow night, Tall and I are going to see Chris Rock. At the oh, Wang wow. Center in Boston. Oh, really? It's, yeah, wow. it's his first show since the Oscars. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Yeah, and like yesterday I just saw, like, and Chris Rock will be in Boston tomorrow. I'm like, really? I looked for tickets and there were a couple still available, so. Oh, that's great. Well, you got to fill us in on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm, know what I'm doing tomorrow night? What are you what? doing? I'm uh, making a dinner for my kids that they won't like. <laughs> oh! And, and then I'm going to oh. kind of go stare angrily at the sky in my backyard. If you ask me for dessert, I'm going to attempt to not explode and go into a litany about how my parents would never have done X, Y, and Z if I didn't like the dinner. And then the, at one point, my my grandmother famously said, you know what I would do if he, if he didn't need it? And my dad said, what? And she said, I'd shove it down his throat. Oh, my God. So <laughs> wow. pleasant. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> and then my dad would, would bring it up for years and years after. He's like, you know what your grandmother said? <laughs> <laughs> I'd that... shove it down his throat. <laughs> yeah, there's never, you don't, in the Jewish families like ours, you don't get the yeah. pleasant stories. I, I always, yeah. There's always a story of, like from my dad where he's like, and I threw an ice cream cone in her face. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's the one I hear over and over. You don't hear a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> you also don't get a do-over on dinner. from the 70s like the notion of people because it's you know my dad grew up uh again in the 1920s but you know they didn't have a refrigerator they had an ice box and so he would tell this story he he was four years old and he was like and the ice man would come to town and we would chase him through the town begging him for shavings (laughs) and he was four (laughs) he was four oh Oh, wow and they just let him you know run around it's a a different it was a completely different world it's crazy it's insane yeah Yeah. um the ice man the ice man coming the ice man coming (laughs) um so i think maybe you guys have have convinced shamed me into possibly we'll make a dinner plan before this tootsie thing and we can are you are you a vegetarian? A light, a light dinner? I'm not, but the other person with me, he can figure it out. Oh no! All right. Oh, now we'll, Stu's we'll coming. It. Yeah, yeah. This oh, this was. Couldn't Stu step in for me last minute and see the <laughs> no. show? I I love it. No, nope, no. Nope. Four tickets were purchased. Right. I didn't mention it because I didn't want to brag at first, but four tickets were. So purchased. now, okay. So Stu can come, but yeah. Steph can't come. No, you're my date. <laughs> You are my date. That was that was fixed from the moment that I bought well, these. I'm friend, like, I'm been, sitting with Goldie. You've been playing a very long game with me. And I know. I, had to I ask you because I never saw it coming. And the other this thing, moment, and the other thing, Goldie, is I also just found out too. I got a random like text out of nowhere, like, "Hey, yeah. by the way, uh. yeah, yeah, okay. Stu's coming. Stu's coming. I got to keep you occupied while I work on Goldie." Um, 
Yeah, speaking of speaking of working on Goldie, uh, our show from last week with David Goodman was great. He was yeah. so funny. Yes. It was awesome to talk so to him. And one of the clips that we posted on Instagram, and and I noticed Goldie posted on his main feed, <laughs> which, which, right was, un, does. which right was unusual away. right away. And <laughs> yeah. it was a very funny clip of we were talking about anger, which we're going to talk about a little later today. More delve into it. Surprisingly, we have more to talk about. <laughs> and I was I was saying like, hey. There's a question about if you get rid of your anger, am I going to be less funny? Am I going to be less funny if I'm not angry? Am I? Do I need to be Larry David to to be funny? And you were waving your hands, and you go, "Well, I got some good news for you. You're not that funny." And it, and the clip I, that still it's very funny makes me laugh. And we posted it, and I noticed you posted it right away. So it was kind of like uh, the, you you will smithed yeah. me, as you said. Yeah, I went on Trump Truth Social. It's there. <laughs> I downloaded Parler. I created an account. It's there. <laughs> uh, just any media service. I think it's on LinkedIn. <laughs> anything, walk- anywhere, anywhere, anyone can post anything. I posted. It, it almost had the feel of like for your other friends, you wanted to post it so you could be like, "See, I've been telling. I told you I would tell him to his face." <laughs> but so anyway, I, I because you posted it, I posted it. People comment on, on it, so you end up seeing the clip several times during the week. And I had kind of thought in my head, first of all, it was very funny either Thank way. You. But yes. <laughs> I had thought in my head like, oh, he was telling me you're not as funny as Larry David. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Who the hell is? Like, nobody is. And then as I watched the clip several times, I noticed your hands were up and waving before the name Larry David came out of my mouth. So it's like in the officiating replay booth, they're like, oh, the hand is up right there. You see the hands up? The play is dead as soon as the hands go up. So you were you were hammering me. Well, they keep the the football game analogy going is I someone handed me the ball I couldn't believe how much daylight there was like I couldn't believe you were setting yourself up like that and my my arms were raising almost because I was because it was the lightness of my being realizing that this opportunity that I've coveted for so long was finally happening and it's for somehow with all your acumen about comedy, you just didn't see what you were doing <laughs> no, there. No, no, like it's crazy no. to me that you yeah, didn't because, sort of cough or botch it or go because it, the the setup. Yes, you know it, it was just it was like too good, like, too like good. a seventy mile an hour pitch in the middle of the plate. <laughs> Watermelon. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was just seeing the ball that day. <laughs> I loved I I, you were, and I loved your analogy about the the so much daylight for the running back. It was so much daylight that it's the clip. That when the O lineman from that play is inducted in the Hall of Fame, it's the clip yeah. they keep showing of him moving like two defenders out of the way. Look at the space opened up by Orlando Brown. Um, yeah, Belichick's like, showing it to his team and going, "And look at this asshole. Where's he? Where's he not blocking? And look at this fucking guy. He's angled toward the sideline. Like, just, God, it was, thank, thank you, thank you for that yeah. opportunity. Yeah, thank and you and so you much, know, there friend. there's me, this dumb old me thinking I'm having some kind of a breakthrough in real conversation and all the while Goldie is waiting to pounce and you got me good and then to even to follow up just to just to further you know strafe the soldiers swimming in the water from the sunken boat 
you came back when I posted something uh, on Instagram a couple of days later, one of my little dancing around yeah. like a charming, funny. funny guy. <laughs> and and you write under it, thank, what, what did you write? Thanks for finally. Thanks for the make- laugh, finally. <laughs> finally. Yeah. I love that. So just the idea, like, after two years of tap dancing like a monkey, you're like, ha, huh, okay, this one is okay. <laughs> well, that first of all, that one was very funny. If you want to, If you want to do the premise here. Oh, that was, uh, God, yeah, the uh, the pitch meeting for the song, Oh, What a Night. It, it's always bugged me that I like that song. It's catchy as hell. Yeah, but the first well. line I of it is... the drums. The, oh, great, yeah. yeah. But the first line is, Oh, What a Night, late December back in 63. So I always do the math because I'm always thinking of the JFK assassination anyway. <laughs> yes. And that's just <laughs> barely one month after the JFK assassination. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that we're having like this huge dance party, it isn't life great. So then I just thought of doing the pitch meeting for that song and, and continually referring to the Kennedy assassination in the song, you know, oh, what a night bullets shot out by a guy named Lee. You know, and so uh, that was that was the the clip that finally got you to say okay. Finally, you made me laugh. Uh, what a night, early October in two thousand one. Oh, yeah, <laughs> in New York and just having fun. Yeah. What a city! What a night. <laughs> <laughs> Clouds of dust, they are surrounding me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. There, there are a few dates you could go to there. But so anyway, I mean that's a great, that's a great bit. But I, I mean, part of my, you know, antagonism. And first yes. of all, I love nothing more than just in someone's comments sticking a small knife. Yes, it's oh. like. The best use of the internet to me. <laughs> Trolling. I, I, I kind of want to shame everyone who's yeah. over 28 for even being on this stuff. Yeah, and I get that. I totally get it. And I do feel like a dancing monkey on there. And it feels very age inappropriate sometimes. We should know better. Because we grew up without cell phones. I mean, I would, I would think yeah. I didn't have a cell phone until I was maybe 27, 28. And it's like, yeah, we don't need to be on there promoting ourselves and... You know, just trying, you know, look at me and, oh, I met this person and here's my outfit. Cute? Question mark. It's like, that's for children. I know. We're supposed to be adults and be making decisions. Yeah. But we're not. Or it's like when (laughs) senators are on there tweeting, it's like, get, do Senate stuff. Stop fucking tweeting. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Where are the adults? Where are the people in the shitty clothes and the ties and the bad hairstyles? Telling us to stop fucking around. Yeah, yeah. they don't There's exist anymore. I know. Listen, the in- internet, obviously, it's very addictive. And I got yeah. totally sucked in by having some success early on Twitter. Mm, and and yeah. just, yeah. It's, like, it's like a heroin addict. I've been chasing that high and it's never come back. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Will stupid. Smith, Chris Rock slap might be the last good moment of Twitter. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was that's... fun. Like, I had a lot of fun on there during yeah, you were that. Great. Where it was like, because it's always the instant feedback when you know everyone's looking like what's yeah. happening. That's yeah. the yes. only time it's good. And the day to day litany of sort of like, you know, people who are still obsessed with Trump, where it's, you know, you just kind of go, all right, we get it. I'm with you. But yeah. Right. Like, well, if it weren't for your tweets, your yeah, if yeah. it weren't for your tweets, Goldie, I'd probably would have missed the Oscars. I was like, wait, I should turn these on. Hey, and then look at that. Yeah. public service. Yeah. And then 
saw the Will Smith Chris Rock thing because we turned it on because of you. There you go. And much, much. Now I'll never get off Twitter. (laughs) Right, Goldie, you're responsible for that. And uh, much like the. 28-3 28-3 Patriots comeback Super Bowl that I left at halftime and didn't see the end of. Um, I was fast asleep when the Chris Rock Will Smith thing right, happened. I and I, I woke up to the news and then saw it all then. But I was, right. you know, on East Coast old man, old Jew time. So it was just like, <laughs> that's enough. All right. <laughs> this garbage. I can't I can't look at Jesse Plemons' face anymore. <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> It's just he'll forever be Landry in my mind. I know. And that's okay. Oh, it's like, oh, I he's agree. some serious actor. It's like, he's just a shitty third string tight end. <laughs> you, got, you, you have to watch that uh, Black Mirror episode with, with him in it. it I think it, it's probably the best. It's certainly the most well-known Black Mirror episode. What's the um, story? It's like he's the captain of a Star Trek style. It, you know, it's almost like an Orville Star Trek thing. I know that might not be selling it to you <laughs> in particular because you're not a sci-fi guy, but it's, it's a very interesting episode, and uh, I think you'd enjoy it. Black Mirror it, screws with my mind too much. I can't watch it. Yeah, it gives me real. panic attacks. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, this one is not as like that it's much more of like a story like a traditional kind of story thing but anyway check it out at some point all right i think we've uh, done enough bullshitting up top (laughs) now let's uh let's roll right into johnny jokes from hollywood we're still doing this here's johnny's Here we go. Let's power through this garbage today. Ooh. You know, I used to wonder, like, how Letterman, it was like, you do this show, can't you at least have some energy, man? You're on TV every night, and you, and you have such a bad attitude, and now I, I'm on his side. Totally get it. Yeah. And I can't believe the number of decent monologue jokes they had, having to do them every night. It's like, ugh. Okay, that said, and by the way, uh, fans listening, if you want us to stop these, please let us know. (laughs) Write to us uh, at a display at gmail.com. Let us know, should we keep doing Johnny's? All right, but for now, we have to. Okay, in the wake of a giant snowy avalanche, the mayor of Anchorage, Alaska, has asked citizens to evacuate. Uh, To which the citizens replied, We can't! (laughs) (laughs) under the snow (laughs) a little little sound manipulation there okay pete davidson has revealed the tattoo he got for kim kardashian that reads my girl is a lawyer uh (laughs) not to be outdone uh, Kim revealed one she got for him over one million served (laughs) oh no Promiscuous young lady is our Kim. Uh, Okay, here we go. President Biden, some good news. President Biden has officially relieved $17 billion worth of student debt. Yeah. Uh, A spokesman for the administration said, if all goes well, they'll do the same for a second student. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great joke. (laughs) Thank you. That's a perfect late night joke. A lot of debt per person. I should have ended on that one, as we'll find out now. All right, finally, uh, Stephen Wilhite. Stephen Wilhite, the inventor of the GIF, passed away earlier this week. Hey, y'all, 
Egon. Egon. Uh, funeral services will be held tomorrow from noon to noon and seven seconds. <laughs> My friend, we Very cannot quick. stop doing these. You're too good at them. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't say that. It's uh, like you have here, to stay on Twitter. Uh, here comes up a, a proverbial <laughs> pile of dung. Here we go. <laughs> well, we all saw it. At the Academy Awards, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, who didn't fall or even blink, and then Will was given a trophy. He was then immediately sued for plagiarism by Jake Paul. <laughs> nice. nice. Terrible boxer. All right. And uh, the Motion Picture Academy is investigating Will Smith. And, and, you know, this could go up way further than we thought. Apparently, Will was texting with Clarence Thomas's wife before the slap. <laughs> <laughs> Requires a knowledge of current events. <laughs> Side note, uh, Clarence Thomas, Justice, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, remains sick and hospitalized. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with his disease at this difficult time. <laughs> Political Johnny. I don't like him. Yeah. Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Chris Rock refused to file a police report, but police are still hoping that there's an off chance that someone who witnessed the incident might step forward. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. great. Okay. Uh, and in, in more politics, uh, President Biden, President Joe Biden, his <laughs> approval rating is at a record low. Yeah, uh, it's so low. How, how low, low is, is it? it? It's so low, to improve his popularity, he started joking about alopecia. Oh, <laughs> That's how unpopular he is. And, and finally, a norm. All right. Oh, All right. Wow. A norm. A norm McDonald, our, our good, our good yeah. friend. Beach towns in Florida are now shutting down at 8 p.m. in an attempt to avoid the noise, violence, and criminal behavior of rowdy spring breakers. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the kids have realized it's possible to drink in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Great man. job, You gave guys. us bonus. Wow. Goldie, you, gave, you were like five at yeah. least. I, I had Maybe. no confidence in any of them, so I just decided quantity. Quantity. No, they were quantity. great. Oh, God. Both, both well, and I, and I happen to know that you wrote all those uh, yesterday and possibly this morning, so yeah. that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah my strong. unwatched children. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank, thank you. <laughs> hey, yeah, shut up. No. I'm trying to come up with a joke about Joe Biden's low approval rating. Keep it down. Um, yeah, so uh, funny jokes, uh, and now, but now we're going to move on to something a little more serious. Um, JC, I know you had uh, a few words to say about uh, someone in, uh, who passed away this week. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to say a few words about Taylor Hawkins passing. Um, and I will say this with the most, res- like the utmost respect. Hey, go! <laughs> what I have to. Okay. It's part okay. of the tradition. Right. So um so okay, he wasn't we weren't the closest of friends, but he definitely was in our life. And yeah. the people that we're very close to are deeply affected by this. And anybody who has encountered him, even just seen him in person, would know that this was a person that was so full of life. 
that you would have never guessed that he would be gone so early because you just sort of make this assumption and that 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 energy will always be there. So when he was gone, we were just sort of like, I mean, we got a phone call. We didn't see it on the news. Somebody called us and said, you should know Taylor passed away. And then we, we saw it on the news after that. So it was pretty shocking. Um, so I will say one quick story. If it weren't for him, I remember we were at a friend's house and Taylor was there and Perry Farrell was there and Stu was, you know, Perry was trying to decide whether he was going to hire Stu because he didn't know him and, and it's very, he didn't trust anybody outside of his circle. Right. And Stu was talking to Taylor and he just looked at Stu and he said, you know what? You're so cool. And he was like, I'm going over to tell Perry right now. Walked over to Perry and said, Perry, you should work with Stu. He's so cool. You're going to love him. And wow. then he was hired the next day. That's amazing. So to do something like that is, for me, it was like, okay, now that he's gone, it's one of those things where we can all have an impact on somebody's life just by doing like a small gesture like that. Right. And he didn't have to do that, but he did. And it was kind of a testament to who, what we knew of him, you know? Right. So, um, this leads me to 1995, February 15th was a huge car accident with four people, people that I knew. And one of them being my best friend. And in that time, this was like, I'm watching my friends now go through that grief and loss of losing that, these people or that person. I'm going to, I'm now going to have a hard time talking, but so, um, one of them was my friend, Jim Duncan, who was my best friend and he died in this car accident. It was totally out of the blue and three other people, obviously who are friends with, but one of them was my best friend. So. That night changed me profoundly because a lot of people, when they encounter me, they think I'm, maybe I'm fake because I'm so happy all the time. Or, you know, there's no way she could be like that. There's nobody's really genuinely happy like that. Yeah. Um, The other thing is what people don't know about me is I used to be a very angry, just angry person. I mean, if anybody knows it, it's going to be Stu. Um, and when we, we lost the boys in that car accident, I had made a decision that every time I parted with somebody that I cared about, I just made sure that it was just a very maybe loving or just a positive interaction Right. because you just never know when you're going to see that person again. And maybe it's not very healthy because you're always like, adding this element of this person could die, you know, like right. it's like this could be the last time. But that is one of the reasons why when I interact with people, you know, it's like you just never know what that person's going through. If you're going to see them again, just, I just don't want to live with the guilt of not being able to treat someone the way, you know, they should be treated before I, if I never see them again. Right. So leading into anger was like, Obviously, I was angry about this, very, very angry, which then bled into everything in my life. I became very controlling, um, super fussy, just not a very pleasant person, not a, yeah, not the I, kind of person that that I would want to be around. Right. Um, and that was years. I was like that for years. Which when you, did that change? 
well, it took me about 10 to 15 years to sort of, well, it really wasn't until Stu pointed it out when it's like I met the person that I didn't want to lose because I would just be like, if I was dating somebody and they were like, whoa, 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 what, you're insane. I'd be like, right. then get the fuck out of here. I would just yeah. be like, I don't need you. If yeah. you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. <laughs> exactly, right. And, and I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> and you did it with the head shake too. <laughs> and... It wasn't until Stu when, you know, at the beginning of our relationship where I was angry and he is not an angry person. He's a very, I mean, we all have anger, but he's Canadian. He's Canadian. Yeah. He was very much like patient for a while, but then he was like, I can't take this. And when that was taken away from me, I was like, his love basically was taken away from me. I was like, I need to make changes in my life because if this is here, it's everywhere else in my life. Yeah. And I'm just going to be a miserable, lonely person. And so Eesh. I decided, like, I don't need to be angry. I don't need to prove to anybody that I'm smart or that I'm good at my job or that um, I'm nicer than you think. I didn't, you know, didn't... F- f- I decided to stop needing to prove things yeah. as I entered yeah. every space I was in. Right, right. You didn't... You didn't- care what other people you know it wasn't you weren't doing everything to please everyone else well it was it was more like because I would enter a space being assuming that let's say I started this podcast still angry and I was working with you guys right yeah yeah, that wouldn't work right it would not work because I would be like (laughs) trying to prove to you guys how smart I am and how good I am at my job and you aren't respecting me even though you haven't done anything so that was me just like, I realized, and that's how I entered every space pretty much. Right. And then at SNL, I was experiencing that and being like, these guys are sexist. And well, they were, they were for sure. <laughs> yeah. But the minute I stopped needing to prove that I was good at my job and that they needed to respect me, they started respecting me and treating me like I was good at my job. Oh, that's interesting. And once I saw those results, I realized like, okay, I don't need to be angry. I can be in a space with other people. I don't have to talk all the time to prove that I know what I'm saying. Right. And I can enjoy what other smart people have to say. And right. that is what led from Taylor to this. <laughs> hey, that, that, that was so well said and it's hard not to absorb all of it as some kind of oblique personal criticism. I know. <laughs> That's how I took it, too. Oh, yeah, no. It was really like, we stink. No. No, I, no, no, no I know you didn't. Do I'm no, just yeah. joshing. And, and by the way, you're the one who played He Gone and set the tone. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I do. I have a slight Taylor story. Oh, I um, love it. Please, yeah. So I, I didn't have, like, quite an interaction with him, but... Um, I don't know if you remember back in L.A., probably we're talking maybe 2004, 2005, the hottest thing you could do was go to the Katsuya in Studio City for dinner. Oh, yeah. And it was a sushi place, and they had, it's still there, it's very good, and they had a blackboard of, you know, you'd order off the blackboard. And anyway, um, I used to meet my friend there who's in the music business. I'd meet him there every, like, Tuesday, I think it was. And um, one time we were sat next to Taylor and someone else, I don't remember who. And I just remember in my mind, just 
going like, oh my God, that's like the coolest guy I've ever seen with the hair. <laughs> and then he's like smiling. And then I just start getting on myself. It's like, why am I not like that? Like, that's what I want to be a long haired, smiling guy yeah. in a cool jacket. That's all I want. <laughs> cool I see, jacket. I see one immediate problem. There. <laughs> well, there's a lot, but it, it just seemed he, you know, you just alluded to him having this energy and I yeah. just wanted to second that. And, you know, I'd seen the Foo Fighters probably three or four times. It was great, yeah. great shows. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry for your loss. He seemed like an amazing dude. And, and yeah. watching that Alanis Morissette documentary that's on HBO, yeah. I think, you know, she obviously deserves all her success and all the credit for it. But you can also see that having him there, it made her legit cool. Like the band was legitimately cool. Because yeah. sometimes you see these artists on TV, and now I'm going back in time a little bit, but I remember yeah. particularly, and I apologize if this was Stu, I don't think it was, but <laughs> Ashley Simpson. No, no. It's okay, so they put, these, they put musicians behind this person, and clearly what they would do is they'd go shopping on these cool stores in Melrose and oh, buy like a leather that. cuff and a mohawk <laughs> and like a vest for these musicians. So it, it would yes. appear that she's in some kind of pseudo punk band. band, but it's yeah. like you're you're now seeing a person who's been meticulously made up and stylized yes. uh, with music they probably didn't write and this band yeah. that's not a real band but they're all dressing like there's some incredibly hardcore thing going on <laughs> yeah. here man yes. Ashley yeah. Simpson rocks yeah. she's but, underground but with Alanis <laughs> and with Taylor and Chris it's like Chaney, they were yeah. clearly kind of pushed together but it it became genuine and I think that's really cool yeah well I know yeah. that they auditioned um, Chris Chaney who's the bass player who is a very good friend of ours this is how we know Taylor he was the bass player in the band we went to high school together so wow. his he auditioned he was at Berkeley College of Music and I th and I'm pretty sure that's where they met Taylor and Chaney played in Alanis's band so they'd known each other for 20 plus years as kids wow and so yeah it's, it's boy that 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 Al first Alanis album was a fucking awesome. Yes. God, I, 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 I just... remember exactly like when someone hit play on it. I was in yes. my friend Sean's car and he's like, do you know Alanis Morissette? And, I, you know, of course, because I'm into like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and like, the Beatles. I don't know Alanis <laughs> Morissette. And yeah. then it's like, gong, 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 and it's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I like great. it. I'm not sure why. Right. Yeah. Really I remember, it's funny to think back because, I don't know, in my mind, I tend to sort of marginalize the, the music of the 90s. But It's I, very good. I remember that Alanis album, and I also remember the first time I heard the G big Green Day album that was like the oh. year before that. And When I Come Around was the first song on it, and I was like, this is instantly one of the greatest first songs of any band ever yeah. i'm like this smashing is pumpkins melancholy and the infinite sadness my friend amazing <laughs> yeah amazing. no one talks about them i feel like uh, they're great yeah. great yeah that's true what i wonder yeah, why did you see what was that thing of that uh video of billy corrigan on a roller coaster <laughs> no. no it's so funny it was like they just extend the the wee <laughs> it was great. It was so funny. You should Google that after we get off here. Uh, well, anyway, that was very well said, JC. Very Thank nice you. tribute. And it, it sort of segues nicely into what, uh, Goldie, you had suggested we talk about this week, which is another offshoot of our, because I think we've been having some interesting conversations about anger and how yeah. that plays into 
our writer's uh, sort of career and writer's mind. So what did what specifically were you thinking about talking about today? Well, it, it was interesting. You know, we had that discussion when David Goodman was on and I found myself wanting to continue it. Uh, because yeah. I, I would say the dealing with anger is the most prominent issue in my life on not just a day to day, but a moment to moment basis. Yeah, and and JC, hearing that you've struggled with this and overcome it is legitimately inspirational to me because yeah. oh, um, I, I think if you if I look back at my own life and I'd be curious to hear your take on this, Alec, um, why do you decide you want to get up in front of a crowd of people and control this circumstance and be funny. And the goal is for this, their approval, but on your terms, like what yeah. makes a person want and need to do that? Because it it's kind of sick in the abstract. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's a real flaw, like where you say, I'm not getting what I need in my life from my actual relationships. So what I want to do is create a persona where I can go up and show everyone I'm this yeah. great raconteur. I'm this yeah. worthy yeah. person. I'm yep. cool and I'm funny. And then I'm going to get this acclaim and then they're, they're going to give it to me and I'm going to control the whole experience. And if they try to interject on the experience, I'm going to put them down and yeah. tell them, hey, fuck you. <laughs> I'm better. And yeah. it's like, how do you get to that point as a person? Yeah, well, I think that it, it, there's a couple things we've talked about, certainly with me. And I think there's a version of it with you because you talk about your dad a lot and your dad was from a different generation even than than my dad or probably JC's dad where he he was much older much more old school served fought in world war 2 so you were probably lacking a certain level of like paternal love at home like i mean not I, to say that your dad didn't love you but it's just the, the expression of it probably was not forthcoming yeah you're you know daily or weekly I, I i i'm gonna say this now and we can circle back if we have to because yeah. i don't want to inter interrupt i don't want to hijack you but i no, do just want to say that i i don't think it's that i think that my father had done so many things that were undeniably great like this war heroism where you just go i've heard about this every day in my life and it's like no matter what i do i'll never even come close to equaling yeah. you know for him being awarded yeah. a silver star medal on Guadalcanal for saving two of his platoon from an ambush. It's like, right. okay. Yeah. So, so it's already off the table Yeah. that yeah. I can be as nearly as great as my dad. And then he was like this doctor and people would venerate him. Yeah. And it, it's like, well, I don't have the tools to do that, but I need to do something because right. I, you know, you want their approval and you want their love. And it's like, I have to do something great. I have to. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> He likes funny stuff, but he hasn't tried to do this. So if if I'm doing an armchair psychoanalysis of it, I, I attribute it more to that because he didn't withhold love from me. Like it wasn't like, you know, he was strict in certain senses, it but it wasn't like, like you know, it, you know, I, it wasn't like I felt, oh, I was beneath him or something. And he enjoyed spending time with me and was generous with it. Right. Right. But it sounds, Goldie, it sounds like a systemic sort of thing where you've never felt like you could live up to what your dad accomplished. And so therefore the rest of your life, you're, you're sort of chasing something else without having to outshine this sort of solar yes. person in your life. Absolutely. And then going to the topic, like how much resentment 
you develop internally because you feel you have to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, we could we could always engineer a scenario where you come to the Cape, we get Kidder out there swimming, and you'd have to save his life. That probably <laughs> inevitably you, you, you as he die. tries to fight me off and die. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stop saving me. <laughs> there must be two inch chop out there. It's getting in his, in his uh, crawl motion. Um, but for 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 me, and you know, you you kind of we talked about it before. I think a lot has to do with you know my dad. And him, uh, he and my mom divorcing when I was really young. And I hate and I don't agree with people who later in life, like I am now, blame everything on that and say, oh, if only that hadn't happened. I'm just simply stating it as it's a root cause for me becoming a comedian because I think I felt the need to like jump in every living room and kind of show everyone how special and precious I was at all times and what quick and clever things I could think of and have relatives be, oh, isn't he wonderful and he's terrific. And, you know, just so I could get like that extra love and approval that maybe I was questioning as a kid because I'm like, well, why, why did my dad not want to stick around? But again, as I got older, I start to reevaluate, you know, the way that he acted and understand it much more and, and, and sympathize with him and, and but all that I felt like kind of came out of that and also having a mother who is beyond loving you know beyond you know, she just I could do no wrong even when I was doing wrong which yeah. kind of became a problem for me later in life too but you know so it was a combination of those two things that kind of made me feel like oh if I do stand up of course I'll be delightful like yeah. what you know I've been told I'm delightful my entire life of course it's going to be just like smooth sailing, which is the hilarious thing of when you start to do it and it's awful, then we get that gallows humor that we we crafted so well at, at playing at Gladys's where everything, yeah. it was the worst club probably in the city. And uh, every night that we played there, there were like half a dozen things that we could laugh at how terrible they were. Rats on the stage, nobody in the audience, Gladys herself, (laughs) Arthur of New York, like whatever it was. The petty infighting for who does which spot, which led to one of our our favorite events of all time was there was (laughs) an actor who was a comic named Randy Clements, who was very funny. And he had these choreographed bits like country Funny, guy nice great like and and a crowd pleaser a folksy uh, folksy yeah, yeah yeah like he had it he was you know he'd come to the city it's like an andy griffith type thing right it, yes it was an andy griffith type thing totally folksy he he wore it was as a you song say, and dance man he was in the Titanic <laughs> musical and so wait you got to describe his uh well he would wear a newsies cap tilted just so (laughs) just so (laughs) that type of guy like you know the newsies cap and it's just it's just placed slightly off center to tell you like you know extra extra hear all about it (laughs) yeah exactly harkens back to a simpler time the time trump's always talking about that's so great that's he's the embodiment not the asshole parts but the part that people are legitimately nostalgic for where it's like why can't we have gingerbread houses and right right you know like clean streets and parades (laughs) like right all that stuff and a a chevy in every driveway (laughs) right and you know, and every a hot dog in every hand. Anyway, so <laughs> so there are these, you know, petty disputes over who goes when. And no one wants to go after this guy, Arthur of New York, who's just <laughs> decrepit and 
terrible yeah. and mean yes. and would lose the crowd, you know, because the, the, the audience would realize, like, maybe this isn't a comedy show and we've talked about his opening line of, who'd you expect, Robert Redford, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these prices? Yeah, and, you, no, and you just go, didn't. like, right away, you go... No one is expecting to go to a comedy club and see Robert Redford. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's not known for that. Two he's different never, areas. He's, he's not even in the movies. He's not even funny. Yeah. So like, <laughs> right. And so now, and and you're telling them they're too cheap to even deserve Robert Redford, even yeah. if he did comedy. So like, it's a doubly shitty joke. Doubly anyway. flawed. But but also, Arthur of New York led the league in this stat, which is. When you would look out at the audience when Arthur was on stage, that was when they would look at each other. Like yeah. the people at the same tables would look at each other like, is this, this guy? made a horrible mistake. Yeah, this guy's really <laughs> like this, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like no one's going to do anything about it. No one's no, going to make exactly. it. You're right. No one's going to keep in. going and rounding on in his nasal voice. But anyway, so there's some petty dispute about Randy having to go after Arthur and Randy just got so mad, you know, because this rage that's in us all that whatever drove him in his folksy demeanor, he's a genuinely good guy and he's in these musicals and he wants to get up and entertain. And then it's like something goes wrong and you can see like that needle goes in and pierces, you know, through your psyche past the Jurassic, the Mesozoic, it goes deep into whatever (laughs) damage you have that <laughs> propelled you there. And he just freaked out and was like, had this episode that it it looked like a heart attack or stroke. Like all of a sudden, next thing I know, he's on the ground. Oh, he's just no. on the ground and he's grabbing his ankle. Like it just gave, like nothing happened, but it just gave out. And, and then we were finally able to calm him. And he's like, and then, you know, Arthur, he gets up there. And he and he, and he wants to go first, and I'm and I was just like, <laughs> he just made this noise, this inarticulate noise to describe these feelings, and I feel like that is the feeling that I carry around yeah. with me, with each petty indignity that happens to me in this career like each thing each meeting that doesn't go well each note each little thing of rejection each each time a joke doesn't get in it's like i am hair trigger away from being on the ground yeah. holding my ankle when nothing's happened and going <laughs> 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 yeah, and I think it's sort of morphed into code with you, me, and Viner, where all we have to say to each other is, and uh, just about, because that was... Yeah, that he, was that's what Randy... God, I botched that, you're right. <laughs> no, yeah, he just, he was like, and I just about... <laughs> like, he, said, I, he said, I just about lost it. And like yeah. the, the thing was, like, you absolutely <laughs> lost it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't just about lose it. Like, yeah, yeah. Is there a level above falling to the ground? Holding your ankle, which was fine, and, and then making in tongues. this wailing noise. <laughs> and then, by the way, his cap never moved. It never moved. Yeah, it the just stayed firmly. It made me think there was a bobby pin underneath, probably. <laughs> it was bobby pin work. Uh, but maybe. But that, that but, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I, like, it's something that. I work through every day because the rage sends you into fight or flight. You've got this anxiety and then, you know, it's at odds with you wanting to do what should be a fun job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, the the Randy Clemens story sums up the feeling perfectly. But I, let's talk about Kilborn. Uh, because we'll just go through some of yeah. the different jobs and like the ways we kind of felt angry. I will speak for me first. For Kilborn, that was my first job. I have very few memories of being angry there because Craig and I think for you too, he was always very nice to us, and we were kind of like his favorites. So I didn't have that. It only came later that I started to realize like, oh, every job isn't like this dream cakewalk that Kilbourne was. I used to enjoy, if anything, and since Craig doesn't listen, it won't matter. (laughs) I used to so enjoy when Craig would get angry because he, when some days when he was, we've talked about it. He was like a greyhound where he could sprint very quickly for 50 yards and then would be completely wiped out for the rest of the day. (laughs) So he'd come in with this like blaze of energy, like we're going to do this and we're going to do moment for us. And here's five questions and all this kind of stuff. And then by the time rehearsal came along, which was like in the middle of the afternoon before taping, he would be dead. And he would be sitting, he would be sitting behind the desk, like angrily reading chains to the script that the booth didn't have. He was so off the rails. And I vividly remember sitting up there with Wellesley uh, in the crowd and he and I just church giggling through his little conniption fit. So the anger, it was more like understanding that I enjoyed it in others. To unpack a couple things. First of all, I'm not saying like because I had this anger, anyone was at fault other than myself and right. what's wrong with me. And I and I think every writer carries this, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So as we go through these jobs and we say, this made me angry, that made me angry, it isn't because that was a bad job or the host was bad or the person writing the staff was mean to me. It's, it's all internal and it's all manufactured. And yeah. I, I just would love to know why and to be able, because to this day, it bedevils me. Now, as far as Kilborn goes, like I loved it as much probably more than you did because I was that much older when I got the job and that much more grateful and it saved my life like I was almost it was right before my 30th birthday and I'd kind of made the decision like if this thing doesn't happen by 30 like I might be in real friggin trouble here and have to re-engineer in a different direction yeah so and as far as his frustration goes, I enjoyed it, as did you. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it was justifiable, though, because one of the other rules of show business that you and I always talk about, it's like somehow everyone's terrible at their job. Always. Everyone. Like, as, much, as many talented people as you work with where you go, that person's amazing. There are that many people or more where you go, this is just terrible. And, and it's like you're waiting for like one, you know edited photo to get and, and right. then it's like they it's the wrong one if they're in the wrong order the editing's yeah. done wrong the explicit instructions were ignored it's upside down behind you over your shoulder the the sound isn't synced up so there's a million things and by the way that's what rehearsal is for right which yeah. is the irony which is like yeah rehearsal's <laughs> not supposed to go right it's just yeah. supposed to go yes right where you so see you where understand you need to what is going to happen on the show and you can fix anything that's wrong yeah but it turns into like when it's not going perfectly and which again speaks to the anger like why do you need rehearsal to go perfectly yeah but the things that that made me angry on that job which i was like you like i was just in this blind haze of gratitude for for a long long time but i did start to get joke county there like i would look at the monologue and he would do four monologue jokes and on a on a good night i'd have two and you know on the rare occasion you'd have three and and right 
a lot of times there were zero or one and you just go you chose that joke instead of this joke and i would just as i drove home kind of obsess over the jokes that like who cares yeah and there's a new show the next night but i would get really profoundly upset when i felt there was an injustice like to the degree that people now get over everything you know trump related political related like that that was the level of ire i would get over in this sketch and i had this idea and then it wasn't accepted or it wasn't right. executed exactly right and so I, yeah. I i totally get and you know if we just dive back for a second into the the will smith chris rock thing that we talked about earlier in the week like i kind of get why will smith snapped having thought about it a little bit more in that mm-hmm. like the amount of rejection, the amount of struggle you have to go to to get, and you're just sitting there waiting. You're like, I'm 20 minutes away from what I think is going to be the finest moment of my career. Right, like, right. I, I'm all dressed for the night out. My wife's here. I've had a drink. I'm just relaxing. Nothing's expected of me. I don't have to do anything. I'm going over my speech in my head because I think I'm going to have to give it. And it's hard to memorize a speech. I want to make sure I get it exactly right. But I'm at the moment, like all the rejection all the petty bullshit is finally over and it led to this. And then it's like, here's a joke about your wife being bald. And it's like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck (laughs) everything. Like, here I am. I'm so fucking close. So I, I've had the time to think about it. And I think I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So moving on from, from Kilbourne, just trying to think of like the skipping stones until I arrived in the family guy world. I worked on a show called, um, I forget if it was called Meet the Ortegas or something. Something you don't know. I think it was something just like called that. The Ortegas. The Ortegas. <laughs> right, right, right. So that was run by uh, this couple, and they were very funny and smart, Wally Walidarski and Maya Forbes. They were really great people. They had worked on The Simpsons, very funny. So they were trying, they had the thankless task of trying to adapt to this show that was popular in England um, and make it a, a show. It was called The Kumars. In, in, in right, England, The Kumars right? in England. It was yeah. a popular show. And the, the whole gimmick of it is that uh, immigrant family and it's half scripted comedy, half talk show. Oh. So every week there would be like guests for the talk show and there would also be a story happening with the family. It was a kind of a misguided disaster in the U.S. It worked in England, but right, it was okay. just not working here. I remember a thing where – so Wellesley and I are on this show and we're junior. We're, this is right after we came out of uh, – uh, Kilborn, basically. And uh, Wally and Maya decide they don't want the junior writers in the writer's room at all any day. Like, so wow. I remember weird. Wellesley and I were in this weird windowless office with these three other, or two other writers, these two young, very funny, like Mexican writers. And all we did was play poker all day. Nice. We played, that's, that's it. Bizarre. We just played poker all day. And I, as I recall, those guys cleaned me out often. <laughs> um, but then the show weirdly w- went away. It was a disaster when it, it started to get made and produced. And uh, nobody liked it. And it went away. And I, I remember at first being angry, like, why don't they want us in there? Like, yeah. we could help. And then, yeah. but then it turned into watching this disaster that was coming out and being like, well, now I'm glad I don't have to be in there kind of de- putting out that fire <laughs> yeah. every day. Did, so it they was, had you do nothing? It was literally nothing. I think they had us write a script and then that script was just turned into them and, uh, and they did whatever with it. But I also bizarre. remember them being very particular about the script 
Um, like we had to write it like three or four times, which seemed very weird to us because it felt like we weren't really changing much. Right. But per their instructions each time, we were just like, well, couldn't you have just taken the first one and fixed that? But anyway, the whole thing was kind of a disaster. And I remember feeling like little bubbles of anger about it at certain times, but it never really rose to the level of like, get me out of here. Because right. eventually that was taken care of. Yeah, it well, happened for you. Well, as you were doing that, I was working on um, a couple Comedy Central talk shows. One was Weekends at the DL which with DL Hughley, and the other was the Showbiz Show with David Spade, which yep. was a fun gig because it's like you would just, at the time, those blogs like Perez Hilton and TMZ were just yeah. it, it, in coming up. And uh, I would just read like the National Enquirer and Star Magazine and In Touch, and you'd come up with jokes. But... I I have one incident that still enrages me to this day. Yeah, good. Which was I can't wait to hear. So this. I had found this clip of, and it, this the the whole show was like, it was sort of pre TikTok, pre Instagram, and even a little bit pre YouTube, where it was like funny videos as well, celebrities like you'd take footage and mess around with it and come up with a piece of comedy. So I had found this uh, video of Sigourney Weaver had gone to wherever Jane Goodall was with the apes, yeah. uh, the gorillas. Right. <laughs> and Sigourney South Weaver America, had done this, some special okay. about Jane Goodall, and <laughs> she was leading these children uh, through the brush, and they were, they were peeking through the plants, yeah. and there was a gorilla there, and the gorilla farts audibly. <laughs> and then she turns to the kids and says... The gorilla farted. <laughs> and so what I then did was I took the tape because they had all this footage of her walking through the foliage. Gorillas in the mist. And so after that, yeah. like I had the real thing of a, of a fart happening <laughs> that I made it appear as though she had just kept farting. Like there was talk of farts and, and I, I made it appear and I created this minute 14 long tape that just appeared, and I made, I spent an hour in the sound booth making all these fart noises with my, like, yes. of different right. that made it appear, she was watching the gorillas, they were farting, she was farting, I had the reaction shots, and this thing was incredible. It was yeah, it like the hilarious. apocalypse now of fucking farting. Yes. Like it was yeah. one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. So we show it at the, at the run-through, and... David Spade literally falls out of his chair <laughs> laughing at this. Like, he cannot get a breath. And the whole right. room explodes. Like, it is yeah. the reaction I've wanted from everything my entire life. And I <laughs> sure. feel really good. Like, I spent a lot of time on it. It's a fart joke, and it's perfectly executed. Yeah. So it's about a minute 14, and the, the uh, showrunner at the time goes, well, it, it is a little long. And I'm like... Did you see what the fuck yeah. just happened? Like right. the host fell out of his chair and is on the floor and took a minute to get up. Right. And he cut it down to like 51 seconds and it still worked but it wasn't the same. Like it yeah. just it, the pace of it was different and to this day I am enraged that that yeah. moment was stolen from me because yes. when it, it had it aired as as I had done it it would have been like the pinnacle. Like yeah. I, I, I finally had this miraculous piece of footage. I had done my work that I've yes. been training to do, and I knew how great it was. And then it just got to something that was eighty-eight percent that still worked, but that right. 
Right. Because they touched enraged. your work. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though, and this is sort of ties back to the conversation we were having a couple weeks ago, which was like, can't you now, because you said, and I believe you because I can feel it, that it, you still feel enraged when mm-hmm. you talk about that. Isn't there a way to cut that off? Can't you just say that's already happened? There's <laughs> I nothing can't. I can do about that. I I intellectually understand that is the case. Yeah. But emotionally, I don't understand it. <laughs> and I, I can access, obviously, I can tap into the anger. Yes. I don't know how to... You know, JC seems to have some tactic that works unless you're just suppressing your rage and it's all going to come out in some oh, epic yeah. Look at JC's smile. In JC. 25 years. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I let it I, out. I, I, part of me thinks, you know, and, and God, am I walking into a setup here? And if I do, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But part of me thinks like the, the thing that makes me, at least theoretically, if I am good at this job, good at this job, you are. is yeah. that. I'm capable of caring that much. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know what? I I can't, I cannot quibble with that. And, and I'll ask the same question that you famously, you know, slammed me for last Uh time. But do you feel that if you weren't angry, that you would be less funny? Like, do you feel like it feeds some kind of furnace inside of you? I might even be better off because I wouldn't get in my own way as much. And I waste so much time, so much time stewing. Yeah. And and like it has a physical impact like when it's so does it's JC. like my you know, nice. <laughs> like when you're you know it's like I have a bad stomach or my back or like all that stuff is just related to that and the physical things that make me not want to go to work where it's like oh I just feel tired of it. Like I know it's a manifestation of my resentment and rage at everyone at every moment not congratulating me for how great everything is. Yes. Yep. And that they want more when I've given as much as I feel like I can give. And then it's like, it was literally when I heard, I was on the call with Sony and ABC that my last show was canceled. And then the final minute of the call, someone said, so what else you got? <laughs> it's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You're just being helped off the court and they're asking you to suit up for the next game. Yeah, when are you going to be back? So... Yeah, I I don't think it's I think it's it may have served a function at some point where it's like one of the things that keeps you going when you you're doing stand up, right? Cuz it's uh, you want to quit every time. I mean, yes. you, sh- you should want to quit. It's that yeah, hard. Yeah. And yeah. anyone who doesn't quit, you know, I think I've said before, in the world of stand up, 10 people become millionaires and everyone else goes insane. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the deal. Yeah. But w- the only thing that can keep you going many times is your anger and resentment that it isn't happening. Right. Yeah. And that's and it true. becomes useful, but it's it's a tool that's outlived its purpose for me anyway. Right. It's, it's like I'm in the game and Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's funny because you're saying the right things, but I wonder if part of you does believe that you somehow you feel like you need it. I'm I'm just speculating. I can't here. get away I, from it. I don't know. Because yeah. it's like every time when I do but meditation, when I, hear I do, I do all like these... I can't. I can't, I gotta. No, but you you, you saying I can't, I don't believe that. I think you're just saying that and you're not really thinking about what you could be doing to stop it. Maybe. I mean, I, I do a lot. Like I, I, I'm reading a book right now. I'll get the name for you. It's by a guy named Alan Gordon. Because I'm very big, as you know, into this Dr. Sarno theories yeah. of, of that you can read this book, Healing Back Pain. 
Yeah. It basically all your physical problems are due to repressed rage and anxiety. So if you know this, then it doesn't serve a purpose anymore for your body to keep giving you this pain because the pain is to distract you from what your brain thinks, emotions your, your brain thinks you cannot handle. So right. the name of this Alan Gordon book that I'm currently reading about it is called The Way Out. And he's someone who runs the Pain Psychology Center in Beverly Hills, which, by the way, I spent four or five years doing analysis there that did cure me of this back pain. So for you, sir, to say I've done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I know, I know that I sit across from an angry guy often. I, but I mean, it's, what's scary is that like, maybe this is the result of having done something and that it was even worse. Like this is the improved version. Well, is that, and that is scary, but there, yeah. there is also something to, we're all kind of playing parts with each other, like you, me, Viner, Seth, you know, people we, Tom. I want we, Seth's part. I, well, <laughs> I switch I roles, know, buddy. Don't, oh, don't you think, I, I think Seth may have us both beat in the anger department somehow, even sure. though yeah. the guy's got a B in front of his money totals. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think that we play a part with each other, where Absolutely. if we're, if we're out that. to dinner, and JC, maybe you'll find this out at some point. Um, <laughs> If we're if we're out to dinner, you know, I, I think we play off each other's like I'm angry about this, and oh, you think that's bad? You think that's bad? Like <laughs> uh, I'm angry about this, and 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 Viner chimes in like, well, I'm angrier than both of you, and he kind of is, yeah, <laughs> and which is unbelievable to and me. And he has way more going for him. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, movie star, good looks, still incredibly. Well, I, I think I think we share, and this is probably why we're friends. I think we share this. This streak that I I always go back to that episode of The Sopranos oh, where um, Carvati, who's Janice, in, invites Tony to dinner, and part of the dinner is just to show that she's over her anger. Yes, and that you know <laughs> okay. she's she's now calm. She's not the Janice anyone remembers, and she's this new, more enlightened being. And <laughs> Tony unravels yeah. it. So, so quickly, quickly <laughs> yes. and she becomes the screaming mess she was before. And as he walks away down the street, he has the broadest grin on his face. <laughs> yes. Misery loves company. And we get yes. this pleasure out of yep. doing this to each other where it's like, oh, yeah. you think you're happy now? Well, let yeah. me just kind of like yeah. teach you that you're not. I don't know why we do this. It would be great to stop. But there is something fun about it. It's like so I do walk great. away smiling. I know. It's like I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell you how to be a happier person, but at the same time, I'm realizing that I so enjoy watching the meltdowns. Like with Viner, it's like when Viner oh. would go on stage, and he's a funny stand-up, and he wrote yes. funny jokes, but he was by far his funniest when he would get angry and go off the rails about something. And so you're right. It's just a... And Brody Stevens was the same way. You'd watch him have a meltdown, and it was like yes. the funniest thing you'd see that week by Well, when far. he would start his set saying the all-time greatest first joke, I hate you first yeah. to the yes. audience. Yes. Like, that to me is the essence of it is... Yeah, you, first strike. You want them to know, like, <laughs> you don't want to be a victim. Like, I think maybe there's something where you don't want to be a victim or a fool so badly that you want to take control and, and you know, denigrate the other person before they have the chance to do it to you, even though, yeah. like, I have a great time with you guys. Yeah. Yes, no, I agree. JC, did and, you but have I a think, question? 
Yeah. Well, no, I'm just, my observation is yeah. that you guys, going back to core beliefs, I think the interactions with each other, sort of bringing out the anger within each other, sort of proves to your ego that you're right about something, whatever that is. But I think your interactions of of sort of bringing the things out in each other is validating your ego being like, see, I'm right. See, my yeah. friends are always pointing it out and I'm right. And that's sort of an addicting thing to be right. Like proving your ego right over and over again is yes. like what, like a lot of times why we are, we keep friendships with specific people that you're like, I don't know why, but... But I mean, that <laughs> built Family Guy. Like yeah. when people go back yeah. to when, you know, peak Family Guy, that was the room. The room was... Makes sense. You're going to go into the, these 20 people and everyone is going to be trying to make everyone else crack break. and break, break down psychologically. Yeah, and there were, there were people who were afraid to go to the bathroom because of what would be said about them. Uh, yeah, we should get Danny's quote for that. Never get out of the boat, man. Never get out of the boat. Like <laughs> well, he, would co- he would come back to the room and people would be like chuckling to themselves and he knew that people were talking about that's him. Like he but just I mean, knew. my first run there, I feel like that was professionally the happiest I've ever been because <laughs> yeah. it was like, finally I can be as mean as I <laughs> yeah. really want to be and yes. I'm being rewarded I'm not only yeah. not being punished or written up by HR I'm like it's going in the script and people right. are telling yeah. me good job right like yep. David Goodman said like a room full of bullies yeah like- it was it was a, it was a constant knife fight it was so fun it was just so great and I'd never been in a room like that before or since I mean, yeah really, won't, really it, there, it, you couldn't do it now yeah no I know and it's funny because as that as that room evolved from Seth being there, you know, kind of nine to five every day. Now, those weren't the hours, but whatever our regular hours were, he was there. And then it morphed season to season where Seth would come in an hour later, two hours later, four hours later. That only made the piranha pool in the writer's room angrier, more ornery and hungry because we were sort of, as David intimated on the show, working blind. We thought we knew what Seth might like. And then Seth would come in at 530 in the evening and and take what we had written and and casually just toss it towards a garbage barrel. It would invariably miss. But like he would throw it like we knew everything we had done so far was bad. And we knew also that hey, we heard from Seth's assistant. He doesn't have a date or a dinner tonight. So we knew we were going to be there till like 10. And it's just like, oh, fuck. (laughs) So that's when the real anger started to come out because you were already angry at Tom and Viner and and you and like people who had been (laughs) picking at your scabs all day. And then Seth comes in and says, everything you did is worthless. The sad (laughs) truth is, is like as sort of angry and vicious as we were, the only thing we wanted was approval. Oh, man. (laughs) Totally right. Totally and it's right. like the slightest yes. approval, it's like just, you know, giving the dog a biscuit and saying, good boy. And any of us would be almost in tears of gratitude <laughs> Yep, right. and finally feel good about ourselves. But it's, it, it, it is like, it, it's almost like 20 people with the same psychosis miraculously yes. found each other yeah. under the guise of writing this thing. But really... Totally. Oh, yeah. Is that the first time you found yourself under guys? There's so much more to talk about with anger. Like we haven't even, we barely scratched the surface. Um, As JC said about icebergs last week, just the tip. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So there's more. You said it. I did. I did. Uh, There's there's much more to talk about here. But uh, for now. We'll do an episode once I'm better. 
<laughs> right, now that you're working on yourself. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, always fun to talk about anger, and we, and we will talk about that more for sure because it is, as you said, it's the number one issue in your life. I would say it's yeah. right up at the top of mine. Same. Um more to talk about. And JC, you've, it seems like you've won your battle. I'm well, hoping I mean, like I, by episode 70 or something, <laughs> no, you're going to have like a total a reversion. Battle. No, no, no. I mean, It'll, I do. It's a, it is yeah. a constant battle. It's not like... Well, tell us about those for Christ's sake. I will. Um, <laughs> all right. But for now, let's uh, roll into the portion of the show that we like to call Top Five. Top Five. All right, How about I go so first, because I have the least yeah. knowledge of this, and I, but, I mean, because I have not watched SNL for years, so say the category. Let's let JC uh, set up the, your, your category here. Okay, this week's top five was top five SNL musical performances. Excellent. Okay, right, I'm going to jump ahead. in and go first, sure. just okay. because yeah. I have the least knowledge here okay, of no. SNL. I haven't oh, watched it in years, and I had to heavily Google and just kind of yeah, like come old. up with some stuff. That I thought was good. So I'm going to go uh, number five was The Strokes in 2002. Nice. Hard to explain. That's great. kind of captured a we'll moment. Try. It really try did. explaining. <laughs> I, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it. So uh, I just thought that was a cool performance yeah, I, I saw. Um, number four, I'm going to go with. Billie Eilish, bad guy from 2019. Ooh, that wow. was incredible. What she did with the rotating room. Yeah, that was, that was really so cool. much more hip. You're so much more hip than I. <laughs> I expected. have kids. My kids are into Billie Eilish. Yeah, so. right, there you just go. Um, number three, I'm gonna go the band in 1976. Oh, wow. Oh, what nice. did they play? Song set. Uh, oh, wow. You can you can look it up. The night they awesome. drove old Dixie down. Some other stuff. Awesome. Awesome but it's sort of a clinic. It's very good. Uh, number two, I, I love this performance, and I love this performer, and you may laugh at me. I think he's a genius. I'm going to go Bruno Mars, Uptown Funk. Which, I love that. that I, t- I considered, 2018. Yeah, or yeah, early. 20, I think it was 2014. Oh, 20, yeah, sorry, 20, I, you're right. Yeah. I was there. Ooh, I yeah. Was there. I just I think was he's like Michael that. Jackson. I think he's like totally electric, and we don't talk about him. He's amazing. Enough. And we he's... don't talk about Bruno, no, no. <laughs> oh, see, you have kids. Totally... That, that never will be a better setup. Did you intend that? <laughs> nope. Okay, nice. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and number one, this is just because of our, our, Tyler, our Taylor Hawkins tribute today. I'm just going to go Foo Fighters, Which times one? like these, 2020. Mm. Yeah, I was wow. there too. God, you guys are so hip. I'm going to go in the middle because I'm, I'm, I'm in my old white man list here. And these are all ones I remember watching. Uh, number five for me was R.E.M. Losing My Religion from mm. 91. Nice. I just, when a band can come on there and they just nail their hit, yeah. uh, I, I love that. And that, I just, that was also a peak of SNL with Dana Carvey and Mike Meyer. Like that was yeah. just absolutely peak SNL. Okay. Number four for me, maybe you've heard of this song. Nirvana smells like teen spirit. Yes. Boy, I, I, I rewatched it and they, they performed the shit out of it. It yeah. was just, and what a song that was and what an important song. Yes. Now there are a couple in a row that I just, I personally liked, and I don't know that they would make anyone else's list. Um, number three, uh, was a band called Everclear singing a song called Santa Monica. I wow. love that Amazing. song. It's so funny because I almost, because I was there as a page when they did it. I, yeah. When we live, there. when the band live performed off Lakini's Juice, 
yeah. <laughs> that album. I was like, I just enjoy that. But I, I hear you on the Everclear. I, yeah. I like that band. Yeah, and that cool. song was pretty kick-ass. Yeah. Um, and number two, and this was one of those things I wasn't there. It was when I was still watching it every week. And something about this guy's name and the song I, knew, I just had heard the name of, I was like, I want to check that out. And it was awesome. Number two for me was George Ezra singing Budapest. I don't know wow. if you know that song. Or the, that's, band, or the oh, artist. Oh, that's a great song. That's that song like, Miles from Budapest, I did it all. Oh, okay. I think I got it at the no, end there. I'll sing it better next week. <laughs> um, all right, number one, and this one I... I have a feeling we have the same number one, but it's okay. I, I don't know. I don't okay. think so. Okay. Number one for me was uh, George Harrison oh. and Paul Simon oh, together. They sang Here Comes the Sun right into Homeward Bound. And yeah. it was Whoa. absolutely yeah, captivating. Was... Beautiful. Uh, I got goosebumps just thinking about well, it. Well, I won't play it. And uh, yeah, D- Danny Smith just texted me right <laughs> at that, really? that exact <laughs> moment. Oh, wow. Let's see what he said. Oh, okay. He's just talking about our work today. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. That's my list. JC, Great go list. ahead. Both, both of your lists are great. Thank okay. you. Um, so I have two where I was actually there. So maybe that's not fair. But um, my number five was Eminem in 2017. Um, sure. Chance the Rapper hosted. But he did a medley, which included Stan and um, The Way You Lie. And I was crying. <laughs> I cried. Aww. During rehearsals, I cried. I was like, oh, he's so amazing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, number four was David Bowie, 1979. When he's in the costume and he gets picked up by his background singers up to the mic. And he's just in this weird, stiff costume. It's just so bizarre and so amazing. Did he sing Ziggy Stardust? He's saying, um, what's the song? Starman? No, uh, The Man Who Sold the World. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, number three is Elvis Costello. When he mm-hmm. was on, he was supposed to play. And he stopped one in the song yes. in the middle. So yeah. Just knowing how angry Lorne must have been, <laughs> right. and the director, and just list, like being able to hear Lorne being like, "What is he doing to my show?" And just like, <laughs> just being my there. show. Yeah. <laughs> um, number two is. Childish Gambino, 2018, This Is America. Mm. That was so powerful, so amazing. From rehearsal to dress to air, it was, he was an incredible host. And then stepping off and performing this super powerful, he was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. And then my number one is Radiohead 2000. When they played National Anthem. National Anthem, oh yeah. My, I looked at idiot. that, too. I, that was that was so great. Oh I mean, God. they're awesome. The I, close-up of Johnny Greenwood being like, I know, so doing weird. His, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's great. He's he's a good... He's been a riding his bangs for a while. Yes. He's a big bangs guy, Johnny Greenwood. <laughs> yes. Um, those are great lists, and that was yeah. a very fun category. And now I'm going to uh, announce... Uh, oh, I don't even need to look it up because it's so easy. For next week, our top five category will be top five feelings. Oh. Huh. Top <laughs> okay. five feelings. Okay. Like you All can right. interpret it however you want. I already have my list. It was very fun to think about. Okay. Cool. All right. Thank well, you. so we're we're wrapping up another episode here, but before we do, we're gonna end this one like we end them all on a high note. Whoa! All right. <laughs> Let me power through mine first. I posted this on my uh, my Instagram a week ago or so less. 
uh, is a, a girl named Jules Hoogland, uh, an 11th grader from Michigan. She's blind. She's on the basketball team. She had a free throw in a game. Oh. And she was assisted to the line. Yes. She had somebody right behind the basket hitting the basket with a broomstick to give her like a range finder. And the entire gym knew the drill. There were probably 500 fans there. They all went silent while someone was banging on the thing. Lo and behold, she sank the free throw and the place erupted. (laughs) And I'm such a sucker for a, I mean, that's already a great story, but I'm such a sucker for crowds erupting. And this was a genuine eruption of joy for this, this woman. So way to go, Jules. That was awesome. I mean, you, you heard afterwards there was a lane violation. <laughs> <laughs> it was taken Someone stepped off. in the lane, so they yeah, had, they it's had all to toy. take a point off. Yeah, yeah. and she, she bricked the next one. <laughs> all right, um, what, other, go, what other high notes? Yeah, I'll go real fast. Okay. Um, so my wife uh, put up this hummingbird feeder probably like three or four months ago and just nothing, just getting snubbed oh, no. by local, <laughs> the local aviary society. But then finally... <laughs> This week, Ooh. got a hummingbird, and I friggin' Aww. love hummingbirds. <laughs> so does yes. Stu. <laughs> that's awesome. That's it. That's beautiful. Yeah, you that's get a, to, that's a you good get to watch it hover. You get to watch hover. it hover out yeah, your way. It, it flit about. It's a great song yeah. by Wilco. I just I love everything about them. That's awesome. There you go. Awesome. Okay, way my, to go, Steph. Yay. <laughs> my high note is I would like to shout out my friend Jess Alther. Um, we play Call Alther, of... Alther, Alther. <laughs> is, is anybody Alther? <laughs> she and I, we've never met in person, but we play Call of Duty many nights a week. And like some of my... Mo- actually, none of my best friends or close friends even listen to our podcast, but yeah. she listens to Join our podcast. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. nice. And, and we talk about it. She has top fives and, you know, we, we talk... We, it's like she's the person I can talk about the podcast with. Tell her to send in some Johnny jokes for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of this passive listening. <laughs> Let's get some I'll help. sell her my steak for $40. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and send- you'll make a profit. <laughs> So yes, Team 40 Hertz, that is, uh, she's part of that clan. Awesome. um, Thank you, Jessica, for listening. And thank everybody out there for listening for another week. Thank you two for being awesome. And we will talk to you next week with Pete Holmes. We did it. And I just about lost it.